When you hear the word apprenticeship, you might think of trades like plumbing and construction, but increasingly, apprenticeships are offering students pathways into the biotechnology industry. ASBMB science writer Laurel Oldock and science policy manager Serena Niote teamed up to investigate this trend and explore how a push to increase federal funding for apprenticeships might expand their numbers even further. Here's Laurel. Dolan Stimson had one goal when he was starting college. He wanted to graduate without going into debt. At first, Stimson pictured himself as a teacher, and with his heavy-rimmed hipster glasses and easy smile, it's not hard to imagine him at the front of a classroom. But things didn't work out quite that way. Getting out of high school, originally I thought I was into, uh, I enjoyed chemistry. I was thinking I'll be a chemistry teacher in high school. Um, but at the end of uh, receiving my associates in secondary education, I was just not really, I feel it was the challenge that drove me. It wasn't something I could see myself doing, maybe doing like when I'm older, but not right now. Stimson still loved chemistry, so he considered becoming a pharmacist like his older brother. He took a few biotechnology courses to stand out as an applicant, and he found he really enjoyed them. Then he heard from his biotech professor, Margaret Bryans, about a lunch and learn with a recruiter from the pharmaceutical company GlaxoSmithKline, who was looking for applicants to join a new apprenticeship program. GlaxoSmithKline, or GSK, is based in the United Kingdom, where it's very common for people leaving high school to train on the job as apprentices. The company had approached Bryans, a professor at Montgomery County Community College in Pennsylvania, to inquire about adapting its UK apprenticeship model to the American labor market. We were the first site, or this Montgomery County site was the first site in the US to implement this type of apprenticeship. And I, I think their feeling was that in their experience, young people who came on as apprentices had a lot of um, loyalty to the company. Brian said that GSK was trying to reproduce that model in the US, where the company had had difficulty filling its manufacturing positions without offering additional training. When GSK looked at the Montgomery County Community College biotech program, which was already focused on preparing people to work in the biopharmaceutical industry, she said they saw a really good match between the skills the college was teaching and the roles that the company was having trouble filling. Community colleges are a little unique in that they have, they're more focused on um, work-ready skills. They're more focused on hands-on skills. So, that, you know, the, the biology, the chemistry, and then, for example, biotechnology and sometimes in engineering, it's very applied. So they're learning in the lab exactly what they would be doing on the job. Um, cell culture, micropipetting, protein purification, analytics, um, and they're using the technology that they will be using when they join a, a company lab as well. Montgomery County Community College is a particularly strong example of this kind of technical readiness because for the past 10 years, they've received a grant from the National Science Foundation to train a technical workforce. Brian's is the PI. Anna Eswood, an early talent attraction specialist at GSK, also spoke to GSK's interest in starting an apprenticeship program. Since apprenticeships are intended to fill capability gaps, and it was an approach to stabilizing the pipeline of future engineers, Here's what she means about the pipeline. GSK forecasts where there will be predictable job vacancies in a few years, 
for example, if a number of people are all scheduled to retire at once, and then sees if it makes sense to hire apprentices now to fill that vacancy later. The program, which launched in 2016, supports apprentices through a three or four year course of study, during which they earn an associate's degree in biotechnology with tuition paid by the company, and also gain a ton of experience on the job. Stimson applied, and about a year later he was accepted into the first cohort. By the time he started, he had already completed his associate's degree, so the company instead supported his study for a bachelor's in pharmaceutical product development. Classes counted towards his 35 hours a week at work. Usually that meant taking about six credit hours a semester and working 29 hours a week in the manufacturing facility. I was a chemical operator apprentice, which um, chemists want to create a drug. They have a synthetic route they want to use. However, they aren't sure of if it can scale appropriately and safely. And so my role was to do that actual um, scale up uh, still within research side of the research and development. Um, and we eventually used that material for uh, clinical trials. He said that what he'd learned in community college really helped him prepare for working in a certified good manufacturing practices or CGMP facility. I got to give a shout out to Dr. Brines because her mock GMP biotech lab was the great, the single greatest experience in my whole education. And I, I went to school cool. for seven years. So um, I always, I always brag about the biotech program at Monco to everybody. I bragged about it to my, my Westchester teachers. I, I always brag about it. Um, that experience helped me so much into my GMP role as an operator. There aren't very many colleges with biotechnology facilities in the U.S., but a surprising number of them are community colleges. Lori Kelman, a biotechnology professor at a community college in Maryland, gave ASBMB Today a virtual tour of a mock production suite similar to the one where Stimson learned. First, she swiped her badge to get into the biotechnology training facility, just like you might do to get access to a controlled access space at a plant. After passing through an airlock with space to put on sterile lab gowns and other protective equipment, she swiped again to gain access to a tissue culture room full of closed biosafety cabinets with spray bottles of ethanol and disinfectant lined up in neat lines, and a pass-through cabinet in the wall to deliver media for cell culture from a clean room next door. Normally, when scientists come in here, research scientists, they say, wow, it's so clean. It looks like you could eat off the floor in there. When industry scientists come in, they say, oh, you've done a nice job. The training lab was designed to mimic an FDA-certified pharmaceutical manufacturing facility. Next door to the tissue culture room, the facility also includes a suite for isolating and purifying products from harvested cells, with instruments for fast protein liquid chromatography, digital droplet PCR, and other techniques. I'll be honest, a lot of the instruments they had available were fancier than the ones I used at graduate school. If you were thinking community college meant lowest level of available equipment, uh, you would be wrong. Kelman's College has invested heavily in teaching biotechnology because the industry has become such a significant economic driver in Maryland, accelerated by the pandemic. Although the school has a large program, Kelman said, they're nowhere near meeting the demand for entry-level biotechnology workers. Much like the Pennsylvania College, where Bryan's teaches, Kelman's College recently began to offer apprenticeships in biomanufacturing in partnership with GlaxoSmithKline. This type of program where a community college works with an employer 
is gaining traction as the biotech industry grapples with a significant labor shortage. Meanwhile, policymakers are focused on getting Americans back to work and increasing economic productivity, and they've proposed legislation that would invest billions in apprenticeships. Here's Serena Neote with the details on why policymakers think apprenticeships are promising. The Department of Labor, which has administered the U.S.'s registered apprenticeship system since 1937, defines apprenticeship as an industry-driven, high-quality career pathway where employers can develop and prepare their future workforce and individuals can obtain paid work experience and classroom instruction. Apprenticeship is just one of many models for on-the-job technical training with varying degrees of formality and overlap. Most Americans are more familiar with internships, which are less structured, usually shorter term, and sometimes unpaid. In contrast to an internship, an apprenticeship is always paid, is usually registered with the Department of Labor to ensure that it offers quality education and lasts at least a year, usually several. Apprenticeships are common in manufacturing, construction, utilities, and health and safety industries, but they're a lot less common in the life sciences. During a 16-year period when 1.5 million apprentices were trained, an analysis by research Daniel Kuhn and colleagues at the Urban Institute counted fewer than 950 apprentices in science, most of them learning horticulture in prisons. But there's renewed interest in STEM apprenticeships as a way to expand the STEM workforce and bolster the American research enterprise as biotechnology and related fields are growing rapidly. The National Academies recently estimated that the bioeconomy generates 5.1% of U.S. gross domestic product, or almost $960 billion annually. Analysts project a growing number of what are called middle-skill jobs in the sector. Laurel spoke to several community college professors about training for middle-skill biotech jobs in manufacturing food, biofuels, biologic medications, and cell and gene therapies, work that requires excellent lab skills, but not necessarily a bachelor's degree. Here's Laurel. In fact, according to some community college professors who run biotechnology programs, a bachelor's degree in biology or biochemistry may not be the best preparation for entry-level industry jobs. Collins Jones, a professor of biotechnology at the same community college as Laurie Kelman, had this to say. You know, the, the issue with a lot of the, especially four-year, but even the two-year programs in bio, biology, chemistry, biochemistry, is their whole focus is on preparing kids to go to med school or grad school. At Kelman and Jones's school, about half of the students in the biotechnology program already have a four-year degree in the life sciences. They enroll because they lack technical and regulatory knowledge that would make them competitive applicants for industry jobs. So think about when you took biochemistry and they're talking to you about proteins and how to study proteins. All they focused on was how to denature a protein, right? Because that's what you do Very to do research. Keeping a protein non-denatured. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So in our proteins class, we have a unit on protein formulation. Uh, what do you need to do to keep the protein intact? And, and how do you measure whether or not it's denatured and things like that? So that's sort of the difference. We talk we tell you how to denature a protein, you know, STS, heat, all that stuff. But then we go to the next step and say, but really, if you're making a monoclonal antibody, you want to avoid all that stuff. Besides just not learning the technical skills that they might need on the job, Joan said there's another issue. A lot of times, people who have earned a college degree don't want to do the types of routine work that a pharma company might be hiring manufacturing technicians for. People with a four-year degree or above 
come into the industry a lot of times with the expectation that they're going to be doing their own research. Right. And that's not, that's not what happens in the industry. College graduates, according to both Jones and Carla Talanian, frequently expect to do independent research and they can become dissatisfied with the routine daily tasks of biomanufacturing. Often the outcome is rapid turnover. The purpose of a college education, whether it's about job preparation or about becoming a better citizen or about the joy of learning, is a question that academics debate. But Jones said that one thing is certain. Having a hard time with some college classes shouldn't disqualify people from all scientific careers. Even at the beginning levels, you know, we have kids who have a real interest in science, but maybe they're not really good at math. So they're not going to pass a calculus that allows them to you know be qualified for a master's degree or whatever but they can contribute in the industry and the industry doesn't care that you didn't pass calculus programs like the one that stimson enrolled in at GlaxoSmithKline are part of an industry-wide experiment with apprenticeships to see if they might make for a better prepared workforce for the jobs that are needed two apprentices have completed training in the montgomery county community college GlaxoSmithKline biotechnology program so far with two more about a year into their studies. According to Stimson, two of the four chemical operator apprentices who started when he did decided that the career wasn't right for them and left the program. Anna Eswood said across GSK, about 30 people have been involved in the apprenticeship system since it started in 2016. Since the program onset, we've had roughly 30 apprentices participate in the program across six of GSK sites. Those have all been across the pharma and consumer supply chain businesses as automation technicians, logistics coordinators, manufacturing technicians, biochemistry associates, calibration and instrumentation technicians, and maintenance mechanics. She said that most of the apprentices are still working on finishing their training, but that some have landed roles in the departments where they were trained, which is exactly the company's goal. According to Lori Kelman, if other companies see that GSK is successfully filling difficult-to-fill jobs by training apprentices, they're likely to pick up on the model as well. I think what GSK is doing is going to serve as a test case. And so if it's successful, uh, I think you will see more. On the other hand, there are some signs that the industry might not wait to learn the outcome of GSK's program. In the past few months, a number of new biotech apprenticeships have launched or have been announced. In Massachusetts, a workforce development organization called MassBioEd launched apprenticeship programs in biomanufacturing and clinical trials over the summer, aimed at mid-career workers who want to shift from other industries into biotech. MassBioEd did the recruiting and pre-screened the applicants, and then it forwarded their applications to the five biopharmaceutical companies that sponsor the program. Candidates who made it through a company's vetting process were offered a job after they completed a five-month classroom and lab training program that MassBioEd administers. For the companies that support apprenticeship programs such as MassBioEd's, this is a way to build their workforce. They want to reduce turnover and build local talent pools specifically trained for the jobs that they're offering. Because apprenticeships tend to increase wages and employment, they also appeal to policymakers. The training model has seen an unusual degree of bipartisan support, despite Washington's polarized atmosphere. Serena is back to walk us through the details of the proposed legislation. 
Advocates for increased funding cite benefits to both apprentices and their employers. The average starting salary for someone who has completed an apprenticeship is $70,000, nearly twice the average salary for a high school graduate. One analysis found that for every dollar spent on an apprenticeship, employers get an average of $1.47 back in increased productivity, reduced waste, and greater frontline innovation. As members of Congress sought to boost economic recovery during the decline of the COVID-19 pandemic, H.R. 447, the National Apprenticeship Act of 2021, passed in the House by a vote of 247 in favor and 143 opposed in February. While the bill relied heavily on Democratic votes to pass, 28 Republicans also voted in favor, signifying some bipartisanship for expanding the national program. The bill is now under consideration in the Senate Committee on Health, Education, Labor, and Pensions. If passed, H.R. 447 would invest $3.5 billion over five years to create nearly 1 million new apprenticeship opportunities. This bill has language focused on dismantling barriers to employment for individuals impacted by the criminal justice system and individuals with disabilities. In a statement released before the House passed H.R. 447, House Majority Leader Steny H. Hoyer, a Democrat from Maryland, said, This legislation will help us provide opportunities to the millions of workers and their families who are out of a job due to COVID-19 and looking to reset their careers in order to reach for greater economic security. The bill has been in committee in the Senate for eight months and looks unlikely to pass. However, Daniel Kuhn, the Urban Institute analyst, said that even if it doesn't, there are plenty of other ways that policymakers can and have invested in apprenticeships. Laurel looked into a job training program that might benefit from some more apprenticeship funding. One policy argument in favor of apprenticeships is that they open opportunities for high-paying careers in the sciences to people who face higher barriers to college education, which is usually people from marginalized racial or economic backgrounds. According to statistics from the Urban Institute, the skilled technical workforce, which includes anyone working in a high-skilled job that doesn't require a bachelor's degree, is the most racially and ethnically diverse scientific workforce in the U.S. There's a biotech training center in Baltimore called the Biotechnical Institute of Maryland, or BTI, that showcases how on-the-job training and lab skills can help open doors for underrepresented workers. BTI traces its origin back to 1998, when a Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine professor advertised for a research technician, and a member of the building's housekeeping staff, named Jean Smith, applied for the job. She later told a Hopkins video team that she didn't know exactly what was included in the research technician role she was applying for, but did know that it used her brain instead of her hands, and that it would pay better than housekeeping. Smith didn't have a college degree, which made her an unusual candidate for the job, but she turned out to be an excellent lab technician and stayed in the job for almost 30 years until retiring, earning a college degree along the way. Her experience inspired the professor, Margaret Penno, to start BTI as a way for other workers to transition into laboratories. While most apprentices, including in the sciences, are men, today most BTI trainees are women of color. According to Tim Fawcett, the scientific director and an instructor at BTI, most of his students are women in their 30s or older, many of whom have been certified nursing assistants or geriatric nursing assistants. That's a physically taxing job with not a lot of upward mobility. A lot of people of our, grad, of our students who apply are in these jobs like a GNA or CGNA where 
they're at their ceiling, you know, for no matter how long they're going to work, they're not going to make but another dollar an hour or something because they're just at the top of their grade. A lot of students work nights while taking lab classes at BTI in the mornings. Fawcett said that for some of his students who were in direct patient care, taking a technician job at a biotech company made sense. They could work on developing new medicines that might benefit those same patients, so they were still helping people, and meanwhile the work also offered better pay and benefits. Of the more than 500 BTI graduates, 78% have landed jobs, many in Baltimore's dozens of small biotechnology companies. However, some of BTI's efforts have not been as successful as hoped. When BTI partnered with Hopkins and the East Baltimore Development Initiative to offer training that would prepare neighborhood residents to work in a new research park the university developed, they found that academic spin-off companies overwhelmingly preferred to hire college graduates. Here's Kathleen Weiss, the interim director of BTI. Even though our founder from, from Hopkins was pretty enlightened, um, sometimes it can be difficult to change the paradigm of the system within which you're working. Unable to place many of the trainees in the research park, BTI staff helped them find biotechnology jobs elsewhere in the city. The episode illustrates a problem with job training that isn't linked to a specific company. The Urban Institute's Daniel Kuhn, who focuses on workforce development, said this. The concern with job training is always You've gotten your training, now is there a job at the other end? Yeah. Well, apprenticeship just doesn't have that problem because you're receiving training and, and you're employed and you're going to keep doing that job after the training is done. Funding for BTI is a perennial problem. The prospect of more federal apprenticeship dollars and guaranteed job placements is exciting for the organization. Weiss said that leaders hope to partner with local companies to offer classroom instruction and handle apprenticeship registration and reporting requirements if the law goes through. According to Kuhn, such a service will be welcome. He said that some small companies hesitate to offer apprenticeships because the application to provide one is very, very detailed, and it sometimes gets rejected and has to be revised before being accepted. It's just kind of a packet of material, you know, which for if you're a small business especially and you're, you wear a lot of hats, that's a lot for anybody to pull together. If, um, you know, some state apprenticeship councils can be sticklers for particular things and toss it back, and, and that kind of thing can be frustrating. Kuhn said that small companies can sometimes get help from other groups like BTI, and if not, they may benefit from group apprenticeship programs, where several companies get together to agree on a program structure and handle the application in a centralized way. Then, all they would need to do is find apprentice candidates. Serena explains why that might not be quite as easy as it sounds. According to Kelman and Bryan's, recruiting college-age students into biotechnology apprenticeships can be challenging. Kelman chalks us up to an emphasis on exploration in the American education system compared to European systems and pressure for students to seek four-year degrees, especially in her affluent and highly educated region near Washington, D.C. A lot of times I'll, I'll meet with a student, I'll speak with a student, and what I think is, oh my gosh, my program is perfect for this particular student. They're telling me they want a job. They, they don't have a lot of money for, for education. They don't want a lot of student debt, but they don't always choose it. And I'm not sure why. Irrespective of a worker's age, Kelman said, an apprenticeship need not be their last educational experience. 
Many employers support continuing education, helping cover tuition as workers study part-time for a bachelor's or master's degree. When Stimson finished his apprenticeship, he was guaranteed a position as a journeyman chemical operator, which GSK told the Department of Labor starts at about $25 an hour. But he found that, like teaching, the job he had trained for didn't offer the challenge he was looking for. He thought about maybe going back for a master's degree, but instead he ended up pursuing an educational opportunity within GSK called a second ment, a six-month assignment for permanent employees. Like apprenticeships, second ments are a lot more common in Europe than in the U.S. Working with a functional genomics research team, Stimson honed his molecular biology and tissue culture skills while applying for research positions at GSK and other companies. Jones and Kelman both stressed that a person who gets into the biotech industry via biomanufacturing apprenticeship need not stay on the production line forever. Along with opportunities for further education, both mention opportunities to grow into other roles within a company. That's our big message right now is that biotech is a career. You're not resigned to being a lab rat. Stimson's career in biotech is just getting started. Here's Laurel. After his secondment ended, Stimson started work as a contractor assigned to Merck, where he's a biochemist testing products for problems. Although he chose not to stay at GSK, he said his experience there made him a more competitive applicant for jobs he might not have qualified for otherwise. I know the, a lot of the people I work with, they have master's degrees and this is their first job. Okay. You know, where, whereas this is like, hey, like I'm getting in my career. So I do feel, uh, um, I guess, honored, I guess you could say, to to be able to be you know, considered still with other students who had masters coming out of college. I asked Stimson whether he'd recommend apprenticeships to other people, and he said yes with no hesitation. My whole goal when I graduated high school was to complete college without debt. Um, and you and did. so exactly, exactly. And you know that that gave that opened up options, you know, to do other large life choices like, you know, be I was able to get married during that time. Apprenticeships in biotechnology are still relatively unknown. But thanks to interest from policymakers and donors, and especially if the National Apprenticeship Act should pass, their numbers are poised to grow. For ASBNB Today, I'm Laurel Oldock. From the ASBNB Public Affairs team, I'm Serena Niote.